Hey, we're so glad you're here this morning. Uh, I want to apologize for my voice this morning. Uh, I woke up and it was just kind of gone. So uh, it's actually back compared to what it was this morning. So if I just walk off stage, second service, it just disappeared. So I'm sorry. I apologize for that. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling fine. Just lost my voice, which is interesting as a communicator to lose your voice because you could like break my leg and I could just preach from a chair. Uh, just take my voice. I'm a little stuck. But hey, glory to God, we are here this morning. Uh, let's give a round of applause to our worship team this morning. They just did a great job. Uh, so we are in week three of our series, Open House. We've been talking about really our DNA, our makeup, what it is that God has called us to, uh, to do as a church, and not just us as a church, but what we believe biblically is commanded of the church. And if you've been around for a long time, we said this is a, a vision realignment that over the course of time, we can kind of lose track of where we're headed or why we do what we do. And this is a reminder of that. Uh, and I hope if you're new here, that it gives you a picture into uh, why we do the things that we do around here. So uh, we said, as Luke just said, that we believe out of Matthew 28 that our command is very, very simple. It's not um, complex. It's to go make more and better disciples of Jesus, which essentially means to go make people who want to uh, follow and pursue the ways of Jesus, who want to find other people who want to uh, follow the way of Jesus, because we believe the greatest gift ever given was Jesus. And so in him is found everything that you are searching for, uh, whether you know it or not, it's found in him. And so that's what we believe called to do, and that's our foundation of our open house, if you will. So then last week, what we talked about was the porch, uh, which is our Sunday morning service. Why do we do uh, and why do we build the things the way we build around here, and it's because um, there's something interesting about our mission statement, which is to make more and better disciples of Jesus, but what we know to be true and what you know to be true is I can't make anybody do anything. I can't, I could probably make you mad, but I, I can't, I can't make you give your life to Jesus. I can't make you surrender your heart and give your utter devotion to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Only you can choose to surrender that over to the Lord. And so uh, we have designed our porch or our Sunday morning services um, to do what we can do. And that's to invite you into a space where you get to encounter Jesus, hear his word, and perhaps the Holy Spirit would move upon your life and change you uh, forever. And so that's why we want to create an inviting, uh, welcoming space for everybody. It's why there's no bouncers at the front door, um, because everybody's welcome, all right? There's bouncers at that door because we love our kids, and they're going to thump you if you shouldn't be back there, all right? But there's not at the front door, because uh, drug addicts are welcome. Anybody's welcome. Hypocrites are welcome, and Lord have mercy, we are grateful hypocrites are welcome, because none of us could be in here if that wasn't true, because we all know we're not there yet. And so uh, that's just the culture we want to set. But as you consider the porch, um, I, I want you to think about your own porch. Wouldn't it be weird if you considered your friendships, if all of your friends only ever made it as far as your porch, so your good friend comes over and they come on your porch and you maybe open the screen door and talk to him and you have a conversation on the porch and then you close the door and you go inside and then the next week they come back and you come onto the porch and you have a conversation. Like after a couple months, I'm going to wonder why you still got the screen door shut on me, right? Uh, you may call me a good friend, but the reality is I've never sat in your living room. So I, am I your friend? Like you've kept me on the porch. What happens in the Christian circles at times is we can begin to pursue faith that same way. We can come on Sunday mornings. We can come for the hour. You can attend a church service and you begin to establish an opinion on the whole house based on the porch. Well, that's not fair because there's, there's a whole lot more that happens behind it. And it's also insufficient. See, because a, a porch without a house is not a house at all. It's a gazebo. And you can't live in a gazebo. We'd, we'd call you homeless and we'd put you in a house. And, and so if you approach faith thinking this is it, that Sunday morning is all there is, you, you will miss the deep things that God has for you. 
which is why we believe in the next uh, setting that we're going to talk about, which is our living room. So beyond your porch should be the living room. The living room is because we believe life is better what? Connected. All right, it's one of our five core values around here. We believe deeply because of the word of God that our life truly is better when we're connected to the people of God, when we have deep uh, relationships. And so that's where we're going to talk about the living room because the living room is where you have uh, great friendships. It's where you have deep conversations with long friends it's, or with long lasting friendships. It's where you laugh, it's where you joke, it's where life happens. Some of the most uh, heartwarming or heart wrenching conversations I've had with people are on my couch. This is beginning to pour their life out. It's where we're uh, connected. But one of the things I want to talk about is um, we don't necessarily believe that statement to be true. Now, you know it's what we believe, and you could recite it to me. But as we examine our life and we examine the way we, we frame our life, some of us really do believe that life is better on the porch. Life is better unconnected. Because if we look at our Sunday attendance and we look at our small group attendance or I, I hear the, the cultural narrative of people telling me they have no close friends, they don't feel connected, really, truly, there's a few of us, maybe more than a few, who really believe life is better unconnected. And there's a few reasons for that. Maybe you came into a, a small group setting or a community setting and it hurts you. Somebody disappointed you and, and didn't live up to an expectation of what you would hope for. Somebody slighted you or you heard some gossip. And there's so many reasons for why we believe that. But, but here's what I know to be true is that we've never been lonelier. We, we've never been lonelier as a culture. Men specifically, they're saying they're five times more likely to say they don't have a single close friend. The amount of people who could count six close friends has dropped in half in the last decade. Well, at some point, we started to believe life is better unconnected. Or at least we began to pragmatically live that way. And so um, what I want to reveal to you is what you perhaps have already felt, um, but I have seen to be very true, which is this. You will never reach the heights God has for you without true depth and godly relationships. See, God has amazing things for your life, but you won't get there without having depth and godly relationships. So your marriage will be uh, sealed or have a lid on it based on who you surround yourself with. Your life, happiness, and joy expectancy is going to be limited by who you have around you. Your parenting ability is either going to be limited or excelled by the people you surround yourself with. So really and truly, the limit of your life uh, is largely dependent on, one, your relationship with Jesus, but then, two, who are the people speaking into your life? Who are the people who have a say on how you live and the things you do? It will become either a propellant to greater things or a deterrent to the things that God has for you. And so I, I want to spend the rest of our time this morning listening through my gravelly voice, I apologize again, trying to convince you of the truth. But the good news is I don't have to convince you of anything because the word of God has already laid out that life really is better connected. So we're going to jump into the book of Ephesians and look at um, four attributes of godly relationships because I wonder if at times um, we're hesitant to connect because we just don't know what good relationships look like. Maybe we haven't seen it modeled well for us or um, there's just some confusion around what Christian community even looks like. There's definitely uh, lots of opinions around that. And so we're just going to let the word of God define for us what relationships are. And as we get into this text, one of the first things the Apostle Paul is going to deal with um, through the book of Ephesians 
is really just a misidentity in the people of Ephesus. Um, so they were surrounded by all of these other cultures and thinkings, and they were really trying to frame up what a biblical worldview looks like, and that would be a biblical understanding of relationships. And they um, had a lot of false thinking leaking in there, and a lot of this um, kind of Eastern mysticism that they were dealing with is really no different than what we're dealing with. And this kind of, um, I'm my own person, and I have my own energy, and all of this kind of stuff that, that Paul's spending the whole book correcting. And one of the things he's correcting heavily through this book is a misunderstanding of relationships. He says they need to be uh, defined by something else. And the first thing he's going to say uh, as we look in chapter 3 is that they need to be rooted in, in Jesus. Godly relationships are rooted uh, in Jesus. And here's where we get that coming out of chapter 3, verse 16. I pray, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide, how long, and high and deep is the love of Christ. Paul says if you're going to begin to have the type of relationships that are going to grow, that are going to give you uh, the, the propellant you need to pursue God and be godly, and they need to be rooted in, in Jesus. And here's why this is important, because you have friendships for a lot of reasons. You have friendships because you play bingo together. You have friendships because you play fantasy football together. You have friendships because you work together. There's a whole lot of common things that pull people together. But what you'll discover about relationships, and you know this to be true, is there friends, there's friends that you used to be friends with who you're not friends with anymore. There's people who used to sit on your couch who don't sit on your couch anymore. There's people who used to come on your porch who don't come on your porch anymore. And largely, it's because the things that they were rooted in wasn't necessarily in Christ. There was some other thing that brought them together. And that's not necessarily bad that they were brought together. But as you examine the relationships in your life, they have to be built upon something deeper than us. Because here's what is true. Shared beliefs might pull people towards each other for community, but it's emotional maturity that will keep them together. See, because anytime you or I show up with another person, what happens? <laughs> Your sin meets their sin. Your selfishness meets their selfishness. All of a sudden, there's an opportunity for offense and for friction. And so in community, what we need, if we're going to be rooted, is an emotional maturity to go, I understand that you're not all the way there yet. And I also understand that I'm not all the way there yet. And so we're going to make each other mad. And we're going to do things that offend each other. That's part of the human experience as we pursue Jesus is we're not there yet. But the emotionally mature person is going to say, that's part of the process. And some of us gave up on community right there because we thought that we expected that you would have had it together because you're so-and-so or you're a leader, you're, 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 you're. And it begins to project on other people why community has failed you. And I hear all the time how community has failed people. And I, I have to ask the question, do you recognize your community? You are community. You make up the DNA of that room. You help establish that relational culture. So the emotionally mature person is going to say, all right, I have to begin to filter relationships through something differently than my preferences, different than I like. And so that's what being, uh, having relationships rooted in Jesus means, is that I have to filter all of my relationships through the love of Jesus. And I'll tell you what, that leads me to do things I don't want to do. It leads me to forgive where I'd rather hold a grudge. It leads me to be kind where I'd rather give a sharp word of sarcasm. It, it leads me to compassion where I'd rather lend towards judgment. It leads me to confront where I'd rather ignore and not have to deal with that messy situation. 
You see, when I begin to filter my relationships through the love of which Jesus has shown me, it, it changes my whole approach, and then it changes how long I work through those relationships. Because it's modeled after a guy who in forgiveness went to the cross for us. And so the standard of our foundation, or the standard of our relationships is just different when you're pursuing them in the way that God would call us to pursue them. I want you to read verse 18 with me again, though, because I, I just love what it says. It says, may have the power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Do you catch what he's saying there? He's saying, on your own, you have no ability to understand the true depths of God's love. It, what you need is together with God's people, we together have the ability to understand God's love. And what he's saying is simply this, that you can't love or experience love in isolation. You can't love and understand God's love in isolation because what will begin to happen is you'll begin to make up that love to be something else or you'll come into circumstances where um, you, you just don't really find the need for people because we're self-sufficient, we're happy, and we're independent, and there's less drama. As C.S. Lewis says, you eventually put that heart in isolation long enough because of fear of pain, because to love is to risk, but you isolate enough, and eventually that part of your heart will just begin to fade away and grow cold, as he says. See, to be willing to love means you got to be in a space where you can be hurt. And that's tough. But that's the space the Savior walked into with us. But he walked in and said, all right, this is more than hurt. This will kill me. But I'm here, and this is love. And so together we understand the love of God. And here's how this plays out practically. Anybody ever been an idiot? Yeah. All right, come on. Four of you are honest. All right. You know what happens when you're an idiot? Say, say you really offended a friend, and you go up to them, and they're a really godly friend, and you say, man, I screwed up. I'm so sorry. I know, man. I forgive you. I love you. We're good. Let's go grab dinner. What does that moment feel like? That moment feels like a touch of heaven, like the grace of Jesus being experienced in our life, and that's what I'm talking about that we can't really understand who God is without his body and how important that is to what he's doing. But here's where we have to be careful because if you begin to uh, root yourself around the wrong people, you'll start hearing the wrong truth. You'll start hearing the wrong love or the wrong definition of love. And so my question for you really this morning is who are you rooted near? Who is near you in your life? Are the people you are rooted next to rooted in Jesus? Or are they rooted in other things? Because what I have discovered to be true in relationships, and you know this to be true, this happens in marriage counseling a lot. Actually, one of the first questions I ask in marriage counseling is who are your friends and who are his friends? And let's define those friends real quick and what they're like. Because um, 10 times out of 10, if she has rooted herself next to bitter women, it will be impossible for her to forgive her husband. Because though she might hear the truth of the gospel coming from counseling sessions, she's going to go home and her homegirl is going to be like, he's a loser, drop him. All right? Same with him. So I'm going to ask his friends. You got a bunch of selfish, narcissistic men surrounding you? You got no chance of honoring your wife because you're going to leave and she, your bros are going to go, bro, you're, oh, she's just, she's just nagging on you, right? And so the people you are rooted in are going to either, as I said, propel you forward or hold you back. And so that's the, the really the thing Paul's getting at here is that as you're rooted, what you are is a tree drinking in the water. So you're drinking in bitter water, you're going to become a bitter person. You're drinking in selfish behaviors from your friends, you're going to become that. But 
If you're drinking in people who are rooted and saturated in the gospel, what you're going to hear is the truth that your heart needs in the moments that you can't speak it to yourself. What you're going to hear is grace and forgiveness when that's what your heart needs. What you're going to hear is encouragement when you run down. The second thing Paul says as he goes through here uh, that is an attribute of godly relationships is that they are strengthened uh, through serving. So go ahead and flip over a page or so to chapter 4. We're going to read some of these passages together. Chapter 4, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure and the fullness of Christ. Now, a lot of pastors will, will use this passage to uh, beat up on their congregation and say, see, this is why I don't have to do all the work of the church. And this is, See, the good news is I don't have to say that this morning because this church models that. This church has it's just been such a joy to be a part of and lead because we all understand these verses and that you have a part in the ministry. And it's been such a joy over these last several years just to continue to serve alongside people who get this, that, that service and serving the Lord together is such a beautiful part of community. And I just want to thank you. It's been a joy to lead you. I, I sat through this passage and thought, I don't even have to say this. Like, I, they, they just get it. And that's such, it's such a gift. But what he's saying is that you know that the people that you're in the trenches with, the people you're pushing the plow with, you look to your right and there's a certain bond with that person, right? Maybe it's your work colleague and you're dealing with some stuff at work and you're just, you're going through it together. There's just a special bond there, right? We suffered together. When I used to lead, excuse me, lead teams overseas, um, I would always tell a guy, hey, don't marry a girl until you've gone on outreach with her. He'd just kind of look at me sideways. Just don't go on an outreach together. Go for two months overseas uh, with a team of people and then you'll find out if you want to marry her or not. And they'll be like, what do you mean? Well, there's probably no access to showers, um, makeup, just doesn't exist, and you're going to spend seven days a week serving people. You'll find out real quick if you're a good fit or not, right? See, there's a certain bond that happens in the trenches, and Paul's saying, listen, if we can begin to, to have this mentality that when you come to community, it's not what can you do for me, it's what can we accomplish together. So my, my closest friends are those who have decided to cross oceans to share the gospel with me. My closest friends are those who put their hands to the plow to work because they came and said, hey, together you and I can accomplish something for Jesus. Because community is about the body living out the actions of the head, which is Jesus. And so that, that's where communities can get sideways because we think community is for community's sake. No, community is a byproduct of obedience to Jesus, which is going, which is why service is such a huge part of it. What I find interesting as I read through this, these passages is how often maturity comes up. And what, what does he say right there at the end? Become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See, the goal of our, our, our community is that you, wherever you are, whatever step you're in, would take your next step to become more mature with Jesus. And that happens when we, we get up and don't ask the question, how can you make me feel good about myself? But how can we in mutual support, go accomplish things for the kingdom. You see, community is not a spectator sport. Community is not a spectator sport. And I would bet, because I've seen it to be true, this is where some of you began unknowingly to become disappointed with community. Because it wasn't fulfilling a certain need that you had. It wasn't meeting you in a certain way. Now, there are times and seasons where that is true. 
and, and glory to God for community in which it does that for us. But it, it cannot be a spectator sport. It cannot be, let me sit back and woe is me. It is, I am here, I am present, I am engaged, I am a contributor. That's how communities are formed. Because what, what else is true is this. Serving together creates a, cultural, a culture of relational generosity. And here's, here's what I mean by that. You know when your buddy calls you and he needs help with the deck and he's a good friend, you go and you'll work eight hours on the deck and you'll come home and it was a good day. You're not going to come home and say, wow, what a great service ministry opportunity, right? Like that'd be weird. It's your best friend. You just come home and go, that was a good time. Your best friend needs to go to the hospital. You're going to jump in the car and drive him to the hospital and you're not going to think twice about it. You're just going to give and it's not going to feel like it's taking anything from you. You're not going to count those as ministry hours. You're helping out a friend. You're sitting down and counseling with a parent as they're wrestling through some stuff. And they're your good friends, though. So you're just on the couch having conversations and they leave and you go, man, dinner was really good and conversation was great. You don't leave and go, what a counseling session that was, right? See, because there's relational generosity. Because I'm with people who are givers. I'm with people who are contributing. I'm with people who get the mission. Now, there are seasons of my life where I was not there. I was not able to be a contributor. I was wounded, and glory to God, the community took me in. But the goal is maturity in which we begin to, to step to the next step that God has for us. The third thing that um, godly relationships have as a marker is that they protect each other. They protect each other. Here's uh, the next verses here, starting in verse 14. Then we will no longer <clears throat> be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. I'm surprised that I still have a voice. I apologize. Here's what he's saying. And this is where some of you began to grow disappointed with community because you didn't feel protected in the way that you should have been. And you know what? That's fair. There's a lot of us who have um, a failure to be protected in our life, uh, whether that's by a parent, whether that's by somebody who should have protected us who didn't. And those are real wounds. We got to deal with those. We got to work through those because um, as I examined my own life, I came into community um, and really approached relationships out of a place of insecurity because I wasn't protected from some things. And so I began to project that onto community. And so I had to go through my own healing process to be able to provide this for others. And, and that's important. But here's what I want you to see out of the text <clears throat> for what it protects us from. He says in verse 14, and we will no longer be infants. What he's saying really is that he's protecting us from spiritual immaturity. It's going to protect us from spiritual immaturity because you seem really mature on your own, don't you? Right? Like when you're at your house, don't you win all your arguments? And it's just you. You never really have to apologize that often because you never said the wrong thing, right? You, you're always going to give yourself the benefit of the doubt on your own. And of course, when there's no other sinner to rub up against, there's just nothing you could have done wrong. You see, what happens in community is it protects me from thinking I'm further along than I actually am. Um, I, I used to love playing competitive basketball. I still enjoy it. And one of the things I always used to say is that when I got on the court, I realized how unholy I actually was. All right? It, it became this revealing of what's inside of my heart. And so when you get near other people and you begin to get in those tension points, what's true of your heart begins to bubble to the surface. <laughs> I'm judgmental. I think I'm right all the time. Like whatever it is that begins to, to boil up that people bring out of you. Now, it's not them. 
It's them revealing what's in there. And so Paul says, if we're willing to walk into a space and somebody is going to acknowledge their own maturing process, what they'll find in community is maybe there's some steps. Maybe there's some growth. And you know what? That's really good news. Glory to God for community that reminds me I'm not there yet because it reminds me of my dependency on Jesus. And that's the best place to be. Whenever I think I've outpaced my need for dependency on Jesus, I'm in a dangerous dangerous place. The second thing uh, is says tossed back and forth by the waves. And this is essentially just being protected in life storms. Whether you're going through a hard time mentally or whether your <clears throat> relationship is struggling. Um, if somebody were to show up on your porch in the middle of a, a hurricane and you're to open the door and you see them on the porch in the hurricane and, and you just said, oh, a lot of rain. Here's an umbrella. Close the door. See you later. Like, what, what kind of friend are you? Right? <clears throat> you're a bad friend if you Right? See, a friend is going to open the door, see them in the storm of life, and go, come on in. Let me get you some clean clothes. Let me take care of you. You can stay on my couch until the storm passes. But here's, here's a nuance that I think is caused some for, for some frustration for people. Is that when you bring somebody in from a storm and you set them on their couch, they're not meant to live on your couch for the rest of your life. They're, they're not meant to, to move into your couch. It's a season of respite. And then you are healed comforted, and then matured to get off the couch and go back to your own house. And sometimes that space is longer than others, but that's part of the maturing process. Yep, we're here for a season, but God has called you to stand on your own two feet. God has called you to maturity, so it's time for you to go home. It's time for you to be at your front door when somebody's there ready for you, and that's the maturing process. The third one is wrong thinking. He talks in there about how easily we're deceived by false thinking because I, I don't know about you, but it's very easy for me to forget the gospel over my own life sometimes, right? <clears throat> Talking to a friend, he's just really beating up on himself, dogging on himself. And I said, man, are you believing the gospel? Are you preaching and believing the gospel over yourself that you're loved, adopted, adored, and chosen? Because what I'm hearing is you're an idiot and you made all these mistakes and you're a dummy. See, it protects us from wrong thinking because if we say things out, our friends can filter them back to us and go, wait, 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 wait. I don't know if you're believing the gospel here. And in the other side of wrong thinking, maybe you begin to make light of sin and a friend's gonna go, wait a minute. <laughs> don't you know what those choices lead to? Don't you know what that pattern goes to, which leads us to <clears throat> our last form of protection was that it would protect us from ourselves. No one has more ability to do harm to your life than you do. No one has more weapons and more conversations with yourself that could harm you than you do. And so um, a community is going to come alongside you and me and say, hey, <clears throat> I see some dangerous patterns here. I think that thing that you don't think is a big deal, let's talk about it. It might be a bigger deal than you think about it. And, and here's why this is important. Because if a friend showed up on your porch, keep going back to this one, and you open the door and there's a lion standing behind them, a bad friend is going to go, you're so awesome. I love you. You're just amazing. Shut the door. Run away. Right? But isn't that what we want a community sometimes? We want the encouragement without the accountability. We want to say, oh, you're so awesome. You got a lion standing behind you, and it's going to destroy you. I love you. Let's talk about the lion. Let's you and I kill that lion together. Because the real harm would be to never say about the lion. And Scripture reveals us, to us very clearly. And if we love a brother, we're going to talk about the lion behind him. And I think there's an addiction in your life that's dangerous. And I think your dependency on money's dangerous. I think there's a lion lurking 
come on in. Let's talk about it. Proverbs says this in this regards. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, and an enemy multiplies kisses. What is he saying? Somebody who cares about you is going to talk about the lion. Somebody who cares about you is going to have some conversations with you. Now, he's talking about somebody who's already earned the relational trust to have that conversation. He says there's a distinction. Somebody who's willing to speak truth or somebody who's going to shut the door on you when there's a lion outside. And the last part of uh, what Paul talks about uh, for godly relationships is out of verse 16. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. See, the fourth thing is that they multiply. Paul says something that's healthy is going to grow. Something that is finding good soil and good water and good nutrients is going to grow. If you look at a tree, if you look at an animal, if you look at even a human, you can begin to see signs of growth or decline. It is always one or the other. And the same is true of our spiritual life, our spiritual communities. They should always be growing. Because if, if not, if you say, you know what, it's us four and no more, <clears throat> one of you is going to get upset at the other one eventually and you're going to leave. And then one of you is going to take sides with the other one who got upset, and then the other one's going to leave. See, when we begin to be inward-focused, and only inward-focused, we're, we're going to miss the design that God has for us. In which, as we grow, it says, every ligament, which means you have a contribution to community, and when you're not in community, you are robbing that community of your contribution. Say, so, well, I don't have much to offer. None of us really do. <laughs> What we have is the Holy Spirit inside of us and the word of God in our lives. And so um, there is just this joy in community. And I know I talked about a lot of things that <clears throat> could go wrong without it. But I tell you what, it is so much fun to sit in our small group. On a Wednesday night, watch somebody come in and <clears throat> we talk about our sermons on uh, Wednesday night. We go deeper into the conversation. I can tell you the joy to sit down on Wednesday night <clears throat> and hear somebody say, Man, what the Word of God said on, on Sunday, I applied that to work on Monday. And yesterday, you, can't, you wouldn't believe what happened. I had to have this conversation with a coworker that I've been trying to have for two years. You know what joy stirs in my heart as I see individuals begin to grow, as I see individuals begin to mature. See, we believe so deeply that if you're going to go where God has you to go, you need to be around people who are going to help you get there. That's why in our kids' ministry, we run small groups. That's why at the youngest age, they're breaking off into smaller conversations where they can be known because community is only as good as you are willing to be vulnerable. You can come on Sunday morning and you can pretend for 55 minutes and you can run out the door early so nobody talks to you afterwards and we can think you're really great, but you sit across from me at my, kit, my, my dining room table or my couch for a couple hours, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see some things in there and you're gonna see some things in me. And we're going to have an opportunity to love each other in the way that Christ would call us to love each other. And you know what's going to happen? God's going to do it. He's going to do the maturing work that you long for. He's going to do the things that you've been craving when we allow the word of God and the people of God to do what they were called to do in our lives and when we do what God has called us to do. So, so here's my challenge for you. Find somebody with one of these group shirt on. Uh, go back out to the Welcome Center. Look, maybe there's one in your area. <clears throat> maybe you need to start a small group. I don't know. Maybe we're going to fill those up. Um, if you want, you can grab the QR code off the back. It's the blue one there. It's not complicated. 
The question is, do we really genuinely believe the word of God when it says that it's better connected? And do you want all that God has for you? And I would say, we probably would say yes. So let's, let's take the courage of the Lord and take our next steps. And now let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for choosing us. Uh, thank you for giving us wisdom and guidance as we navigate relationships. And they can be so rewarding and so difficult all at the same time. But I thank you that you showed us what love means, that we are not left on our own to define community or love or any of that, God, that you showed us at the cross when you came and you gave of your life and you served people who could never serve you back in return and you cared for those who most didn't care for. Lord, I pray that that would continue to be a marker of your church, not just here, but every church, that we would model the love of Jesus, that we would model the relationships that you have called us to live. Lord, I pray for courage uh, for those to um, maybe are on the fence about walking into community or being known, I pray that they would find courage in that. Lord, I pray uh, for those who uh, have stepped into community and maybe have been hurt, there would be a healing process uh, for them as they step back into community. Lord, we, we love you. We praise you. We ask that you would do great things as we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.